everyone, and welcome to episode 249, almost at the 250, of the Pixels and Ink podcast brought to you by Comics Gaming Magazine. I am your host, Cody Orm, and with us is Phil Brown. That's me. It's just us today. I know. Chilling silence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. But, um, so we got some news. We're on a network. Yay. So big shout out to Buns. Mm-hmm. Friends over at buns.com and uh, talk a little bit about that later. So, in your hands, well, mm-hmm. not in your hands, it's beside you right now. Yes. It was in your hands, is Correct. a copy of Injustice 2. This is very true. You're pretty excited to play it. Super excited. So, last week I mentioned I talked to Ed Boone. Yes. And I talked a bit about how, like, he talked about his favorite character is the Flash. Mm-hmm. I thought you might like to know that um, in a Q&A session after my interview, mm-hmm. he said that the one character he really began to appreciate during the, the development of the game was mm-hmm. Swamp Thing. Yeah, my <laughs> favorite. So, yeah, I yeah. thought you'd, uh, you'd appreciate oh, that. I'm thrilled to hear anyone say positive things about Swamp Thing. <laughs> That's always a big plus. He's actually pretty cool. I saw him in, the, uh, I saw him in action. I didn't play as him. Yeah, yeah. Someone played as him against me mm-hmm. and i got just decimated so. yeah no i'm a huge huge fan i mean it started in uh as a small child mm-hmm. uh watching the saturday morning television show um that was an advertise uh, an action figure advertisement okay um like one of i tried to watch it um when my uh, swamp thing uh, fandom returned as an adult <laughs> and uh the like one of the first scenes in the first episode was them pulling up in this car that was clearly designed to be a toy and, he, and they're like check out the rock and race or whatever it was called and i was like okay this, is, this isn't gonna fly anymore but uh, yeah, I've come to really appreciate, um, particularly uh, the very, very early run that Len Wein, uh, who created him, also created uh, Wolverine. Okay. Um, it was uh, ran in the '70s, and it was like one of the first horror comics to go in a while. And it was very, it was very sort of interesting uh, combination of like uh, a uh, like yeah, sort of unwanted universal monster uh, type character and a superhero who okay. like, did his best to do well against uh, the Wolfman and so forth. Um, and it's very. Uh, uh, the artwork's incredible and very moving and uh, very creepy in a uh, comics code way. And then the big one is, of course, Alan Moore uh, took him over uh, as his first uh, writing assignment in America and wrote it for a few years. And uh, it's one of the most amazing comic book runs. Has he ever written a bad comic? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. But this was, yeah, a, a, like really groundbreaking. And yeah. it was the first uh, comic book to break the comic book code and what sort of got him uh it, the, the way the sales skyrocketed for that book is where it got him the leeway to do watchmen that sort oh, of thing. okay so it's very important uh, historically and just uh reads so well and um yeah it's just really disappointing to me that um <clears throat> i can understand uh when they try to do swamp thing either in the kids animation or in uh the west cravens movie from the 80s yeah. and uh, other uh, far less good uh sequel <laughs> um that just like some special effects were just made it very hard to do swamp thing that didn't make him look like a big uh puffy guy in a foam suit but uh now like technology has reached the point where they actually do all the things that make swamp thing so interesting and compelling and I'm hoping someday they do it but unfortunately it's a dc character so i'm not holding my breath i mean there's always a chance mm-hmm. they have that whole cinematic universe thing going on mm-hmm. Well, it frustrates me in that, like, since their, like, mandate seems to be to make very dark and serious stories, yeah. like, Swamp Thing actually is that already, and already could be R-rated. It is, really. Yeah. Um, and it just seems to fit what they want to do so perfectly. It's just there aren't Swamp Thing lunchboxes as of yet. So right now. So their interest yeah. is not that spiked, but I'm really <laughs> hoping that's going to turn around. I was always a big fan of Solomon Grundy. Yeah. We're talking about, like, the weird totally. supernatural ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we're ever going to see him on the big screen, but... I really like it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious because that they are still toying with that Dark Justice movie to try and launch the whole supernatural DC universe. Okay, and I wish they weren't starting that way because like then you'll only get like little tastes of all the characters. But um, so and that'd be like uh, Constantine and yeah, it'd be Constantine yeah. and Dead Man and Swamp Thing. Oh wow! And uh, uh, what's the um, magician's name? Starts with a Z. She wears no pants. I have no idea. <laughs> She's a good character. You'd like her. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that whole, yeah, I'm going to butcher it if I try to remember it now. But uh, anyway, that that whole gang and Doug Lyman's working on it, who I like. But it's just frustrating because that was 
Guillermo del Toro was going to make that, and that would have been perfect for him. And specifically, I know he's a big Swamp Thing fan. Yeah. And I know he would make, like, the perfect Swamp Thing movie. And I'm just hoping at some point wiser heads uh, prevail, and he will be allowed to do that. But we'll see. I mean, (laughs) it's Zatanna. Zatanna. There you go. I looked it up. Seems like uh, del Toro, maybe it's just more... um, people are more aware of it. Mm. He's a part of a lot of projects that just don't pan out for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think he I I think he's an involved in as many projects as any filmmaker with his stature in Hollywood is. Yeah. He just says them publicly. That's fair. And then bloggers write about them endlessly. <laughs> <laughs> and me more as much as anyone. But uh yeah, that's um Yeah, I I feel like if if, if DC has any idea of what they're doing, they will eventually hand him Swamp Thing, but as to whether or not that ever comes to pass, we'll see. Uh, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Speaking of missed director opportunities, we, mm-hmm. we will get into game news soon. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to talk, because I, I, I'm not qualified enough to actually talk about like movie reviews or anything. <laughs> it's really so, okay. <laughs> um, I finally got a chance to watch Chappie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, it got me thinking about how much I really wanted that Blanc Camp alien thing i know i know me too me too it's just it's not fair yeah it's really not fair (laughs) but i mean we're going to talk about the new alien movie this week and um got a feeling that it might be successful enough to not be considered a failure but not successful enough to keep that end of the franchise going and we may still be in luck yeah i like chappie as well um it uh it's excessive and uh yeah that when it like for the, the huge portion of it that it's the Ant word show. It can be a little <laughs> hit and miss. Yeah. But I thought it worked really well. I thought it was interesting. Like, like District 9 is one of the best first films I think anyone's oh, ever yeah. made. Yeah. It's incredible. It's one and of my um, after that, it felt like Elysium, he, he sort of had problems with, like, sort of bucking to what the studio wanted his vision to be. Yeah. And Chappie felt like it was a little bit too excessive towards what his vision should have been. Yeah. That he maybe should have been reined in a little bit. And I just keep waiting for him to do that next that movie where he finds the balance like district nine again i still really did like elysium as well oh i like both of them i just mean they're but they're not as good as yeah. district nine is all i mean makes me wonder if like when it comes to aliens if it was just uh just came down to like a style difference it's like Bunkhouse movies just, seem to be a little more <clears throat> i honestly just think it came <laughs> <laughs> i think it i honestly think it just came down to ridley scott pulling a power move yeah um the martian made a lot of money yeah, that's and true. And for Fox, no less. And all of a sudden after that, um, Fox had, had essentially given up on the Prometheus franchise and had been talking to Blomkamp about doing his own version. Mm-hmm. Suddenly we're all in on making a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was his uh, the the power power move that Ridley Scott played after The Martian made all that money and won all those awards. And I, mean, uh, I don't begrudge him for it, yeah. but I don't appreciate it either. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, if there's someone that can do it, Oh, totally. Totally. And what (laughs) I used to like about the Alien franchise, basically up until um, Alien vs. Predator 2, was that they did a really good job of picking distinct filmmakers to handle each movie and try to do it in their own vision. And and that that was hit and miss, because obviously uh, David Fincher... Um, had such a hard time on Alien 3 that he refuses to talk about it and has tried repeatedly to get his name taken off it, oh, even Jesus. now. Wow. Um, and uh, But, I mean, yeah, they gave that to him. They, like, uh, Alien Resurrection was both um, written by Joss Whedon and directed by uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet, did Amelie, and uh, a bunch of really bizarre French movies. Okay. Um, and then Alien vs. Predator, like, or Hate It, or him was uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, who did okay. Resident Evil movies and so forth. And yeah. I have a huge guilty pleasure appreciation for. Um, he makes great trash. Alien vs. Oh, Predator yeah. oh, being yeah. a prime example of that. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, now that, now that I realize that name's associated to it, right. it all makes sense mm-hmm. now. I, I mean, Alien vs. Predator, it's got a... Like, for me, it's nostalgic. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I think that it takes a little bit too long to get going, and the human characters should be a little bit more compelling than they are. But other than that, like, I mean, like, it's it's a movie called Alien vs. Predator. Like, yeah. Like, what do you want We're not that? talking about art here. Like, <laughs> it, they, the aliens and predators did indeed fight. <laughs> and and I thought the concept of, the, like, uh, the pyramid and that the predators used aliens as, as training grounds was... Yeah about as good as you're going to get for an alien versus predator movie it seemed like that was one of the like really good examples of that like insect like alien you know yeah. like it was like a hive with the queen i don't know yeah yeah, yeah 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 i feel like 
was that explored much before or well, aliens well yeah yeah i guess you're right <laughs> <laughs> oh, i forget yeah. <laughs> the big one yeah <laughs> anyway yeah <laughs> moving into game news mm-hmm. um so I- i'm gonna try to keep it brief mm-hmm. but big news out of uh the bungee camp um so destiny 2 mm-hmm. uh is happening everyone knows that but uh, we kind of learned a little bit more about it today. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gave some story details, which, I mean, I'm not going to go into this because it's like I edited it today and it was like an 1100 word story. So it's mm-hmm. everything you need to know. Okay, cool. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. We had a little bit of technical difficulties. I'm wearing headphones that have a loosey goosey wire mm-hmm. and I thought I broke everything, but <laughs> <laughs> didn't. So anyway, so uh, this is like an 1100 word mm. uh, article goes really into depth about the story that they they've told us about like characters power-ups um big news though uh for pc players you'll be able to pick it up uh exclusively on pc well not exclusively on pc but on pc you'll only be able to get it at battle.net making this i think the first game ever that is not directly made by blizzard to go up on battle.net hmm so, I mean, it makes sense because Activision owns Blizzard and Bungie's working with Activision to publish this game. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of, uh, it's strange. They said it's to make the uh, the process go faster so they don't have to make their own like servers for the okay. for the game. But I also think it's just, why wouldn't you exploit the fact that you have a company that has its own like online marketplace? <laughs> oh, it makes sense. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, whatever the reason is, it's kind of interesting and... Uh, who knows if that means we'll see more of these in the future. Um, I mean, Activision does make a lot of online type games. Mm. Uh, so, and on PC as well. So the, the Blizzard store is kind of cool. Uh, Bl- Battle.net, sorry, is kind of cool. Cause it, it gives you like, you can talk to people that are playing other games. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be interesting. Uh, let's see how it goes. Maybe we'll see more of them. Uh, in news that you'll probably find interesting, did, oh, you, yeah. did you watch the Nintendo Arms Direct? Uh, no, I no. didn't, but I oh, did yeah, you love were... when we did the sample of it. Yeah, so yeah. you were in New York. That's, That's right. That's right. right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Nintendo did a, re- a direct last night. Okay. Well, two nights ago, I yeah. guess. Over Tuesday. Doing, yeah. Um, on Arms. Yeah. And, uh, well, I guess it was, it was Wednesday, not Tuesday. That's okay. It. <laughs> on, it was mostly directed on Arms. Um, yeah. So they showed off some new characters. There was uh, Bite and Bark, which are like a cop and dog. Oh, duo. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, there's Kid Cobra, who's like a hip fighter kind of deal. Sounds cool. Um, and Twin... I'm going to say it wrong. Uh, <laughs> Twintelli. Yeah. Uh, she was kind of like a glamorous actress kind of thing. Oh, okay. So they showed that off. They talked a little bit about um, there's going to be different classes, so light, medium, and heavy. Mm. Um, each... Uh, there are different types of elements that each arm can possess. To, so I guess there's going to be like strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really cool is... Um, there's also going to be different game modes. Now, if I would have known this before, I would have been a little less critical because mm. I think if these game modes can be pulled off, this could end up being like the Wii Sports for the Switch. Oh, sweet. So there's going to be V-Ball mode, mm-hmm. um, hoops, uh, skill shot that lets players test their accuracy of their punch, mm-hmm. uh, then one-on-100, which, pitch, which pits the player against an onslaught of enemies, Oof. and then um, the arms test, which is a training mode. Okay. So that, I mean... The fact that they're like adding in like basketball and volleyball, I think that could be pretty cool. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and it's all gonna be motion control as well. I'm yep. assuming. Cool. Yeah. So is there gonna be a controller option? I hope so. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like they're really, really bent on giving that one, one to one. I mean, it works really well. It's just like it does get a little exhausting after yeah. a while, right? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but another cool thing, uh, you're a Splatoon fan. I am. Did indeed. you ever take place or did you ever take part in those Splatoon two test fight? Or I guess not two. They did it for the first one, too. Uh, the test fires for Splatoon? I don't think so. So, like, little, like, demos you can play before they come out. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. So, um, they're doing one for uh, ARMS as well. It's like oh, okay. Global Test Punch, they're calling it. Nice. Um, so, if you want to take part in that, um, there are a couple. there's a few weekends they're doing it. So, they want to do May 26th uh, till May 28th. And then another one on June 2nd until June 4th. Sweet. So if anyone wants to try out ARMS, that'll be the time to do it. If you want to try it out, I'd recommend taking up the Switch that weekend. Fantastic. <laughs> so 
Um, that's all the, the game news I have. It's okay. been kind of a slow week. Yeah, it was a slow week on the movie news as well, but I found some weird little eccentric stories. Okay. So uh, first up, instead of announcement uh, news stories, which we quite often have, um, I have two uh, an, uh, two news stories about directors turning down projects. Okay. Um, the first one was Jordan Peele, who made Get Out, yeah. P and Keel, all that stuff. P and Keel. Key and Key Peel. And peel. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways. It's going to be one of these <laughs> yeah, episodes. <laughs> um, he, uh, he's obviously, um, you know, hot shot in Hollywood now after the success of Get Out. And he was offered the chance to direct Akira uh, by Warner Brothers, that their troubled live action Akira project they've been juggling endlessly. And he turned it down and specifically said it's because he wanted to focus on original content as opposed to franchises. And has which, nothing to do with the fact that that movie sounds like it's going to be a mess? Well, there's that. <laughs> but um, I just thought that was um, it's very rare to hear someone say that. It's um, kind of refreshing. <laughs> and it's, yeah, very refreshing and rare for someone to be in the position to do that. So I yeah. applaud him for going that way. Good for him. For sure. And now we uh, now on uh, the Flash front, the cursed movie of the Flash that has been through three directors and countless screenwriters so far, um, they have uh, brought in a new crop of directors who they're trying to court with the project. Um, one was Sam Raimi. Okay. Who turned it down. And good for him. Yep. And now they're apparently uh, in meetings with both Matthew Vaughn, who did Kingsman and X-Men First Class, and Robert Zemeckis, who okay. did Back to the Future. Okay. And who friend Roger Rabbit. Now, under normal circumstances, I would be thrilled to hear that either Matthew Vaughn or Robert Zemeckis might be making a Flash movie. Yeah. That would be exciting. Because it's this cursed, horrendous fra- Flash project, I don't know what to think anymore. So that's got me thinking, just going off the directors that yeah. um, that you listed there. Are they just trying to go for like a super campy Flash movie? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely all directors with a sense of humor, so it could very well be that. My hope is that like it was previously they'd been giving it to either they've been going after either young filmmakers or TV filmmakers who like would essentially come in and and treat it like television and be assigned the project through what the DC through what their plan overall plans are for the DCU. Okay. My hope is that because they're now going to uh, people who are, uh, if not all the time, at least some of the time, writer-directors, mm-hmm. that they're actually, like, hoping... They're actually, like, now giving The Flash to people and being like, would you like to do something interesting with The Flash? And that I could go for. Yeah. Um, but who knows? Uh, we could find out next week that both those guys turn it down and Brett Ratner's in a <laughs> meeting Monday morning to make this thing happen. I mean, God, that... It was announced how long ago? Um. Oh, years ago. Like, it was supposed to be... I feel like it was supposed to come out next summer, if not the following summer. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it seems like that's a pretty common, like, it's been turned down a lot. Yeah, it's this is a cursed production. God, I, I want to read that script. I know, it's got to be rough. Well, who knows which version? It sounds like there's been dozens upon dozens. Yeah. Did yeah. you hear about the uh, alleged script for a Vince McMahon movie? <laughs> no. Okay, so apparently he bought a script, yeah, um, and like some of it leaked. Yeah, yeah. And the only thing I could assume that like yeah. why he bought it was yeah. because it's so unbelievably horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's garbage. He just didn't want to see the light of day. Yeah, yeah. I recommend taking some time and reading it. Oh, it I was can't wait to find to fantastic. Take a look at this. I'm yeah. very excited. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, next up. Um, Oh yeah. Okay. So for uh, so yeah. Next up, uh, there's uh, the Purge TV series okay. is on the way, um, and uh, uh, the president of Bloomhouse Entertainment that um, made Get Out does the, the Purge movies are Paranormal Activity, huge horror company. Um, they finally started talking about the Purge TV series, and here's a weird one. Uh, apparently, the Purge TV series is supposed to take place on the other 364 days of the year, not the Purge. Um, which is an interesting choice. Oh, um, no. Oh, yeah. I can see where this is going. Yeah, and then um, the guy who's written and directed all the Purge movies so far is currently working on Purge 4, yeah. which will take place on the Purge. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's what I was thinking. my interest in this series has dropped significantly. Um, it's supposed to be an anthology series, which I like, but okay. my hope was that it was going to be just weird stories of people in the Purge. Apparently, it's about people like preparing for the Purge, uh, cleaning up after the Purge. I mean, that uh, I would watch a episode or two of people just like cleaning up the aftermath of a purge oh definitely that would be a great one like there are some <laughs> fun ideas that could be mined to it it just seems very weird to do a tv series based on the purge that's about absolutely everything other than the purge <laughs> itself it seems like an odd choice 
Yeah. Um, but that's the game plan, and uh, that's where they're going with that. Um, but on the good, but the good news is Purge Four is on the way. And there I can't be, wait because that's one of the very rare franchises yeah. that's actually been getting better every time. I mean, I guess they could kind of explore that whole like the aftermath and like the people dealing with what they've done. Oh, totally. And that kind of like like preparing, and thing. one would assume there's all sorts of underground culture related to like preparing for and 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 you know dealing with the aftermath yeah. of the purge there's definitely compelling ideas there it's just a weird choice to me to not include the purge at all in yeah the purge tv series i feel like that would lend it lend itself nicely to a nice season finale yeah you think right <laughs> anyway no that's there will be no purge in the purge tv series apparently well. maybe flashbacks <laughs> we can only hope <laughs> um and next up just two little weird oddities i found this week first up um there's uh, jeff goldblum did an interview. Actually, I got three things. Uh, Jeff Goldblum did an interview this week, and he said that at one point, um, he didn't get into details on what this specifically meant, but he said that at one point Steve Jobs contacted him and wanted to hire him to be the voice of Apple, as oh. in the machines. So I'm not sure if that means Siri. It was going to be Goldblum instead of Siri, okay. which would have been incredible. That would have been amazing. <laughs> or if this was, he said this was like a decade ago, so it would have been long before Siri, or it could have just been like when you turn on your Apple, Jeff Goldblum says hello. Oh, or it could have just been for, like, Apple commercials. Well, he already did that. Oh, okay. He did a bunch of Apple commercials, and it was after that. So oh, it had so to be something just... deeper than that, something related to the Apple products themselves. Huh. I, I have to say, like, I am so heartbroken that Surrey isn't Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> like, how much better would that be if you were like, Goldblum? <laughs> I call it Goldblum. Tell, tell, tell me where to get a cheeseburger. <laughs> It would be incredible. That would be pretty fantastic. I know. Big missed opportunity there. I and mean, it could big, still happen. And billions of missed dollars there, yeah. one can only assume. Um, and uh, the next one, I'll save that for the last story. The next one is, um, this is, I find, really interesting. Uh, William Friedkin, yeah. uh, one of my favorite uh, filmmakers who did The French Connection, more importantly, did The Exorcist. Okay. The Exorcist. Okay. He apparently, uh, last year... Uh, shot a, docu- a documentary about a real exorcist, and the Vatican allowed him to film a real exorcism, and huh. that's coming. Uh, that's finished and complete, and they're looking for a distributor that should come out sometime next year. Huh, that's interesting. I'm, which I am fascinated by. Yeah. One of the most fascinating things um, of my high school life. Mm. So I went to a Catholic school, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we we had a priest come in and like mm. talk to us and like a religion class and everything like that. And he mm. actually talked about how like. Yeah, I've, I've done exorcisms before. It's just mm-hmm. like a, it's a thing. It's not a big deal. And like everyone just wants to know about these exorcisms. Of course, right? But like it's just so nonchalant. So it could be a really boring documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be in other per- people's hands, but William Friedkin doesn't do it. Doesn't yeah. be boring. His stuff is very raw and intense always, unless it's stupid. I want to watch but this. It's been a long time since he's made anything bad, so yeah. I'm very intrigued. Um, and yeah, I can't wait. That is called uh, The Devil and Father Amorth. Father Amorth being the exorcist. And just the fact that they filmed an exorcism and that it's the guy that did the exorcist who yeah. filmed it. It's kind uh, of fitting. It, ha- it has potential to me. I'm looking forward to it. And finally, here's a weird one. Apparently, um, hackers have gotten in touch with Disney and have said that they have Pirates of the Caribbean, the new Pirates of the Caribbean, and okay. they're holding it for ransom. And they've told them they want to be paid in Bitcoin or they will start releasing scenes of the movie before releasing the entire movie. Um, and the FBI are currently involved. And that's just the world we live in now. <laughs> More hackers are stealing Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> and holding it for ransom from Disney. Out of all the movies. I know, right? <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. It's so strange to be like, we'll start putting scenes out. Like, well, they're going to put the end out first? or like? I mean, that's how you really get it to mm-hmm. me. But We're going to start anyway. leaking the scene where Jack Sparrow dies. <laughs> or, or the scene with Paul McCartney. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the poster of that with him no. as a pirate? Yeah. Paul McCartney is most definitely a pirate. So are they just like the hiring old rock stars and just plugging them in there now? I guess so. That seems to be the thing. Yeah. I, mean, I guess this is just like how can we get Johnny Depp to agree to do another one of these other than paying him $80 million? <laughs> oh, we can get him to hang out with Paul McCartney yeah. for two weeks. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure that does definitely play a role oh, in it. It's got to sweeten the deal for sure. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. That's it? That's it. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break and thank our friends over at Comic Bento, and we'll be back.
Shaq, do you have a need for comics and graphic novels? I do have a fixin'. Have well, a fixin'. what you need to do is go to comicbento.com and use the promo code CGMAG in all caps, and you can get $5 off a Comic Bento subscription. It goes right to your door. Yes, five bucks. Dude, five bucks. Five bucks. Five hey, guys, bucks. can five I get in on this action? Oh, yes, yeah. you can. Whoa. You know what you have to do? Go what to comicbento.com and use the promo code CGMAG in all caps and get $5 off your Comic Bento subscription. Five whole dollars? Five whole dollars. Whoa. Whoa. Comic Bento. Get it now. And we are back. So, got a quick little thing need to say. Say it. So, the Pixels and Ink podcast is brought to you by Buns, your city network. Buns connects you to the people in your neighborhood to help find things you need to fuel your real life. Swap things you already have to get items you need. You can also find jobs that pay the <clears throat> jobs that pay the bills, homes for rent, advice, and a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com and on your phones via the Apple App Store and Google Play Stores. Yeah, so, sounds great. Yeah. Yay, Bonds. <laughs> have you been seeing any movies, Phil? I have indeed. I have indeed. Um, at long last, after I cut Brendan off last week, not knowing he wouldn't <laughs> be here this week to discuss it with me. Um, we can, sorry, Brendan. Um, we are going to discuss uh, Alien Covenant, the new Alien film. Okay. So this is a sequel to Prometheus. And as the title makes clear, uh, it's basically Prometheus 2. We're really sorry there were no aliens last time. Here are some aliens. <laughs> Um, so, uh, it, yeah, it's very strange cause it, it is, does feel like halfway between a sequel to Prometheus and just a straight up remake of Alien. So it starts with, um, a giant ship filled with thousands of colonists who are all asleep flying to a distant planet, planet that's been mapped out that's as close as possible to human life to try and restart humanity because we can only assume Earth's not doing too well. <laughs> and, um, uh, in, uh, the, sh yeah, everyone's asleep on the ship and, uh, there is, a new uh, android played by uh, Michael Fassbender, not the uh, android from the previous movie, also played by Michael Fassbender. New, new model. This one's called Walter. The previous one was called David. It's a play on the names of David Giller and Walter Hill, who were writer-producers on the Alien franchise. Oh, look at that. And uh, he's going about his business, putting out solar flares, and something goes wrong. There's an explosion, and a handful of the crew members who are in charge of flying the ship are killed. Mm -hmm. um, because as colonists, they specifically chose all husband and wife teams for maximum breeding potential and so every death is an incredible heartache for the people in the crew the guy who's now in charge of the ship is played by Billy Crudup and he didn't really want to be in charge and everyone's all like upset and it's a big kerfuffle and then in the middle of all that they get this very strange signal from a distant planet it seems like some sort of distress call it also seems to be some sort of old rock song they can't quite tell what it is and they, but they do determine the planet where it comes from is a planet that they didn't uh, uncover in their search but seems ideal for human life so they go right ahead and fly down to that planet and check it out. And indeed, uh, the air is clean. There's wheat. There's plantation. There's everything they seem to want. But unfortunately, there's also some of those pesky uh, giant black, those pesky little black balls of uh, Prometheus uh, breathable goo. And that means that aliens start bursting out of people's backs. Uh, not proper aliens yet. These are those with the weird Prometheus half alien that we saw at the end of Prometheus. Yeah, they and, have, like skin. Yeah. Yeah, they're gross. They are gross indeed. Um, in fact, the, the probably the the most effective and frightening sequence of the movie is the first attack from those aliens. They're yeah. they're creepy, and then a familiar face shows up, and uh, things seem to get better. But obviously, they're going to get worse, and uh, the classic aliens are going to show up. So, um, <clears throat> it is yeah, it's weirdly um, almost the exact same premise of the original Alien, and it really feels like because I heard initially. The plan for the Prometheus franchise was that they would it would actually be several movies before they got to the alien, and it was all about the evolution of this uh, cre cre this biological uh, this this biological matter that they discovered in Prometheus that is designed to sort of kill all biological life on a given planet, um, and and uh, you you can really tell that movie was supposed to be that it was supposed to be about inching towards what the alien will be and then they're just like well and here's the alien at the end okay. and um that can be really frustrating but i have to say like it also with it being ridley scott who is a master of film technique like few specifically when it comes to world building like it looks incredible and there are some very very nasty very intense alien attack sequences that are some of the best that have been around been around in a while um uh, the performances are, can be quite good, particularly uh, Catherine Watterson, who plays 
essentially Ripley and uh, Danny McBride, who plays Danny McBride, <laughs> and uh, Michael Fassbender, who is quite good in this in reasons for reasons that I can't really get into without spoilers. But it's yeah, at a certain point, this becomes the Michael Fassbender show, and there's one scene in particular that might be more unsettling than any of the stuff with the aliens. That's uh-huh. all Fassbender being Fassbendery and good. Um, but, yeah, the weird thing was whenever it starts to behave like an Alien movie and specifically behave like a remake of the first Alien, it feels oddly perfunctory. And in particular, the very, like, last chunk of the movie is essentially just a redo of the last chunk of the original Alien, and it just felt like going through the motions. And it really felt like that was all forced and that was distracting. Um, and while it's most definitely an improvement on Prometheus, it definitely has the same problems with Prometheus in that it is... Uh, very pretentious and instead of like as in the original alien like touched on a lot of like complicated themes was mostly sort of implied and visual there's this one has everyone talking about you know what it means to be man what it means to be god what it means to live what it means to die um that gets a little bit grating but it is at least this time not written by damon lindoff and therefore uh makes sense (laughs) um and that goes a long way um characters do behave stupidly again um but this time it's at least you know, in the way that characters have to behave stupidly in horror movies so that they can die, as opposed to uh, Charlize Theron running in a straight line away from a rolling ball when she could have, you know, stepped slightly to the left and survived. Um, Issues like that (laughs) are not quite as prevalent, which helps a lot. Um, And then the other thing is is a very oddly, like, very nasty movie. Um, uh, Because I mentioned before, um, these all being couples sort of caught from their planet, Uh, every time someone dies, um, it... It isn't just, like, violent and upsetting in the way that it would be in a monster movie. There's also incredible grief and people going through incredible pain in a way that felt um, oddly kind of uh, exploitative and, and strange. Um, it, like, There's a way in which it's admirable in which, like, there's clearly an attempt to deal with death in a way that's more substantial than most sort of horror movies, but... Uh, in, but it, it's just a little bit too much. And I couldn't help but feel that, like, this was... Ridley Scott made it clear that this was a very personal project. Yeah. And um, between Prometheus and this project, uh, his his brother Tony Scott, who's a great director in his own right, did Cop Top Gun and True Romance, uh, okay. killed himself. Oh. And it felt to me like a lot of it was sort of him working through grief and trying to explore that through an alien movie. And while I admire that attempt, um, it definitely does make uh, the movie less fun mm-hmm. and kind of ugly. But it is ultimately interesting. Um, it's certainly better than a lot. It's not the bottom of the barrel of the Alien franchise. It's been far worse. It's also not the best. Um, it is a mild improvement on Prometheus, but not in a way where like I'm incredibly excited to see where <laughs> this series is going now. Like I do, I, I do, I do feel like it, fi- it fixed a lot of what was wrong with Prometheus, but also proved that where they were going with Prometheus is not a direction they necessarily should be going. It has that kind of Star Wars prequel problem of, well, it's interesting to see you explain all these mysteries that I liked for so long. Um, it's not making it better. Yeah. It's just limiting the imagination that I can put on them. And I don't think that's necessarily an improvement. Um, and, and, and overall, I just think it's weird that um, Ridley Scott, well, like no one would deny is, is not an incredibly gifted filmmaker has suddenly been considered the voice of the Alien franchise when realistically the first the first Alien movie that he did, while he certainly directed it extraordinarily well, um, was written by Dan O'Bannon, who was a great uh, horror writer, was also rewritten by Walter Hill, um, who did uh, uh, The Warriors and 48 Hours. Okay. He's a really tight genre filmmaker. He really left his stamp on it. And then obviously H.R. Geiger designed everything, um, as well as uh, some French uh, heavy metal artists. So... It's it was a, a combined effort, and undoubtedly um, Ridley Scott was a huge, huge factor in that. Yeah. But he wasn't really the storyteller, and he didn't really conceive of the ideas. And it's odd to me that he's now the one who's in charge of it when he hadn't before. And I really do wish we could get back to the point, like early in the Alien series, when different filmmakers got to come in and put their stamp. Yeah. And sp- specifically, it'd be nice if Neil Blomkamp uh, made the Aliens fun again. God, I just want. I want that so bad. Ever mm-hmm. since you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Like, I know Ridley Scott was the first, but mm-hmm. I always associated James Cameron. Yeah. He certainly put a huge stamp yeah. on that. Yeah. I just always felt like he kind of, like, made it take shape. Yeah. More than... Well, he definitely, like, turned it into a franchise. Yeah. Alien could have been just a, a rock-solid standalone movie. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I do think the first Alien is still the best one. I think it's kind of a perfect movie oh, in yeah. its own way. It's just it's an amalgamation of talents. Yeah. Um, versus uh, Aliens is definitely more a James Cameron giant. Yeah, I was just uh, did I did a little Google search while you were mm. talking. And I saw he did the screenplay as well. As he the, did. He, he wrote it. Um, Walter Hill uh, helped with that. Um, but yeah, he wrote the script and he uh, designed the Queen Alien himself. Oh wow. Yeah. Terminator as well. He sketched those out. The Terminator robot. Really? Yeah. Damn, he's yeah. He was a production designer before he got into filmmaking. Sometimes before you forget that, like, you know, he did something else besides that. <laughs> he's an incredibly talented <laughs> dude. Um, he really is. Um, and even Avatar, like, I recognize. God, I hate that movie so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. I don't. I don't hate it that much. Like, I. I have not seen it since the theater yeah. by choice, nor do I think I ever will. I've never seen it since the um, But, like, I do – I recognize the techniques fantastic, and I do also, like – he did deliberately try to create a mass appeal mythology yeah. that said something about environmentalism. And there's no denying that it worked on a mass level globally. It's just – it's a shame it's so – simplistic <laughs> yeah well that was the thing like I, re- I think it was i might have done this on the podcast before mm. but I, I read this like post and it really like hit home how like stupid that movie was mm-hmm. when i was like who remembers any of the characters names in that movie i know right like anything that stands out except for that weird sex scene which is mm-hmm. also even more weird because they ride their like horse things with mm-hmm. the thing that they mate with too so mm-hmm. oh for sure all i remember <laughs> is the basic plot beats and the visuals yeah and that's and yeah, like what it was saying, but yeah, there are no memorable characters <laughs> yeah. in that movie whatsoever, which is even like you can't even say about Titanic. Yeah, certainly has a lot of similar problems, but I think holds up much. Oh, yeah, than Titanic Avatar. is actually uh, this is a fantastic movie. I was um, mm-hmm. I was watching uh, a movie Bob thing. I've been mm-hmm. I've been on movie Bob kick, mm-hmm. uh, and he does a series called Really That Good. Mm-hmm. I recommend anyone watch it. Yeah, um, and uh, he actually talks about Titanic and how it still holds up and. Oh, I think it does. I haven't watched it in a long time. I actually got a used copy of the Blu-ray recently because oh, I really? found it very cheaply. Um, I watched some scenes from it. And, yeah, I mean, like, I think it has similar problems to Avatar and that, like, he was clearly writing something for the most base possible mass appeal. Yeah. And he's not great at dialogue. But, I mean, yeah, there's no denying the, like, you know, Romeo and Juliet on the Titanic is a great idea. Yeah. And uh, the actual sinking of the titanic is incredible and does stuff that no one will ever do again to actually build a scale replica of the titanic and sink up like that yeah that's insane no one will ever even try again it was a crazy good movie and like i didn't realize all of the um kind of the backstory that went into it not like like obviously the titanic story I knew, <laughs> but like yeah. just like how like leonardo dicaprio was like actually a really cool actor mm-hmm. and then like he got cast as this and kind of got shunned by the fan base that kind of made him mm-hmm. yeah, it became a teen beat I yeah know. yeah that's 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 so weird mm-hmm. it's not a bad movie <laughs> no it is it is good i think it was just sort of one of those things that like you know when something hits pop culture like that so broadly and iconically mm-hmm. um it just it becomes an easy punchline as well that's fair and um it's easy to parry parody titanic Parts of it certainly have aged. Uh, the Celine Dion song, for example. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, I don't think James Cameron did himself any favors by announcing he was the king of the world when he got the Oscar. I mean, like, I get it was his line from his movie, and I get he probably did feel pretty great about himself yeah. that night. Yeah. But that didn't help. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, he had to have known how that would it's hard to say. I mean, like, to think about the, like, head trip that guy went through. Oh, yeah. To go from, like, making a movie that was the most expensive thing ever. He gave away all of his uh, – he gave away his entire salary and his points um, to finish it. Like, he was essentially not going to make any money out of it. Everyone told him it was going to be horrible. Everyone told him it was going to be a failure. And then to have it be, like, the most successful movie ever made. Yeah. First movie to ever make a billion dollars and, uh, you know – take off like few other movies ever had i mean how can that not go to your head and it yeah, came and also true. came out so late that he won that like when they won that when that night when he said that and won the oscars they were still like ranking in money hand over fist seriously like it was done by then yeah so like it's yeah it's i like how could that not go to your head you know that's true yeah and and up to, and and he's also like um in terms of the ego and everything he ever since like when he made terminator 2 
that was the easily the most. It was the first hundred million dollar movie, and like hands down the most expensive movie ever made. And ever since then, every movie he's made has been the most expensive movie ever made. I mean, he's got a track record. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it pays like. off obviously <laughs> for people willing to invest. But you know, it also like and it just kind of says something about him. I think. Yeah. That he's like, well, gotta make the biggest movie of all time <laughs> again. <laughs> it's almost like he just he just comes back to top himself. Pretty much at that point. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I mean. If it works, I just, God, I don't want another Avatar, and I know he's working on it. Making four. God damn it. No. Yeah, it's like four more avatars. The weird thing, I don't want to sit on Avatar for too mm. long, but mm-hmm. like the weird thing is, it's like we're so far gone mm. from Avatar being like a culturally relevant thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, when did that come out? That had to have been 2011. Like 2011? Yeah. I'm going to double check. I wanted to say 2009. Yeah. But that might be a little Oh, you too. know, you might be right. I think it might have been 2009. Because I was, yeah, I was, it was, it was 2009. 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we are. So it'll be 10 eight, years out. Yeah. Like, yeah. that is such a long, there is so much that's changed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is because of Avatar. Mm-hmm. But, like, God, that's. This isn't like Star Wars where it like lingered. Mm-hmm. This is something that like came and it's gone. Mm-hmm. And like maybe some people are still into the porn, but mm-hmm. that's about it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I feel that way, but at the same time, don't forget like I didn't know. I, like I, I never met anyone at the time who like av- thought Avatar was the greatest movie ever. But there was that phenomenon of people that were killing themselves because they couldn't live in Navi. Uh, so yeah. like those people well, are still out there. I mean, if it was in two thousand and nine, I would have been in high school yeah or just before that yeah um so like i remember when it came out and it was like it was a big deal yeah like it like for for people my age it yeah. was but it also went away really fast it's true it did <laughs> and with record speed but at the same time i remember like hearing about avatar and seeing images of it yeah and eventually even like seeing it um and thinking well i mean this is okay, but there's no way it's going to take off on the level he he seems to think it will. Yeah, and then it did. Well, I think the big thing was the 3D. Well, there was that. That too. was I think that was the big reason because yeah. as soon as it came out of theaters, mm-hmm. that's when most of the hype started to die down because mm-hmm. none of people had 3D TVs mm-hmm. to like really appreciate a lot of what it did. I still. Just, like I, I I remember liking the final action sequence. Mm. Like that was pretty fun. But yeah, no, there were good bits in it. Yeah. I just never really wanted to revisit. And it's also one of those things where like, um, like I agree with you that the 3D was a big part of it. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, like, 3D has been so misused mm-hmm. up until this point that if he bring releases Avatar two and actually does good 3D, it's been long enough that people have forgotten how good that can be because yeah. 3D. Yeah, like I, there was there was like a few years after that where people actually tried to design movies for 3D, um, and then they just did the ViewMaster effect afterwards and slapped it on, and people yeah. got tired of it because of that. I I dig 3D when it's used sparingly, like mm. w- like sometimes when there's just like a little spark that flies up, yeah. and you're like, oh look, that that almost hit me. Oh, that, totally. Like that's that's when I like it. I don't like when there's like I have a migraine for like two days afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of that's because it's done poorly. Yeah. Because it's done well. Like if it's just like, you know, if it's just slapped on something, there's a lot of handheld camera and a lot of things done that aren't done to suit 3D. Yeah. That'll, that'll, yeah, that'll mess your head up for sure. So I don't know. Like I, like I'm with you in that I think it's ridiculous he's making four Avatar movies and I've got a feeling I'm going to hate them. Yeah. But I do not at this point ever question his judgment on mass pop entertainment. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess we can't really. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, even like, while it is, of course it is a little bit different because of the sequel. Like um, we were saying, oh, so it's been 10 years and like this guy could have lost, this guy's probably lost it. I mean, it was 10 years between Titanic and, yeah. And Avatar. And in that time he just kept like, you know, digging deeper under the ground than anyone had ever dug before. <laughs> and all these ridiculous things were feel like this guy's a joke. He doesn't hack it anymore. And then he did Avatar and proved that, he did. Yeah. <laughs> did, know, did know what he was doing. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I don't quite, well, I, I'm not thrilled about it. I won't, I won't question that it won't be a gigantic success. Yeah. Until and I, I mean, like otherwise with the amount of money that he can make between those movies, it's almost like he's doing it because he wants to. Oh yeah. He doesn't because he need has to. to work so yeah, there's that kind of hope where it's mm. not a blatant cash grab. Yeah. I would hope that he actually does, you know, cause there's a lot, 
are a lot of intriguing ideas in Avatar, and he just went for the most base level of it to do Pocahontas. Yeah. And now that Pocahontas has been told, maybe there are intriguing things he wants to explore with it. Maybe it's not even necessarily about the Navi and that planet anymore. Maybe it's a whole other thing. Like, who knows? There are four movies, about right? how, like, crappy humans are and how they keep trying to go in. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. There's a lot of that that we could be talking about. Like, the world's not gotten better since then. You know what I mean? Many could argue it's gotten worse. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. So, who knows? There may be something to it. I have no idea. Yeah? Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about, about your little trip? Oh, yeah. I may as well do that very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah so there's an article up. I, I check you. I encourage you to check it out where, um, yeah, it was a very weird, unexpected thing where Fox contacted us and they did a uh, uh, one night only screening of uh, Logan Noir, which is the black and white version of Logan um, in uh, the Alamo Drafthouse Theater in New York and uh, went up to check that out since there were no uh, Canadian screenings. And um, yeah, Hugh Jackman and James Mangold were there and did a Q&A afterwards. And uh yeah, it was it was it, it was fun. I mean, like I I do uh, I do I I like Logan a lot. As I said yeah. when I came out, seeing it again certainly confirmed every all the feelings I had for it. Uh, the black and white is is interesting. Like it suits it in that like the movie was already so drained of color anyway, um, and there were a lot there was a lot of lighting in it that's very harsh and shadow based that kind of popped in black and white. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it did feel like. Like they just turn the color off the color <laughs> movie. You know what I mean? Like it looks good um, and it works, but it's not. And James Mangold even said afterwards, like he's glad they did this. He was curious what it looked like, but yeah. you know, he would have designed the movie for black and white for the ground off. He was supposed to. Right? Yeah. I thought that was interesting when, uh, when he said like, this isn't the preferred method. Yeah. He, he even like went as far as to say like my, my set designers and costume uh, yeah. designers, they'd be, hella mad exactly which that was funny but i think it's i mean it is it's perfect for what it is which is as yeah. a blu-ray special feature was supposed to be it was cool to get to see it in theater like that and um i'd never been to an alamo draft house before i'd always wanted to that did not disappoint <laughs> um do you know about the alamo draft house no so okay. it started in uh, austin and okay. it's become a franchise a little bit there aren't many of them but they just opened this one in brooklyn and uh it's uh, the seats are very gigantic. You have a table between each one, and they actually like deliver food and drinks to you during the movie. But it's sort of leveled like stadium seating, so there's rows lower down where the waiters can come, so they don't actually get in the way of the viewing experience. Um, and the seats are comfortable as heck, and uh, the theater's filled with these hilarious uh, foreign posters for famous movies. There's like Serpico with a K. And my favorite was there was one, I think it was Turkish, but I couldn't tell what language it was, but it was a poster for One Float of the Cuckoo's Nest, but it was all art of Jack Nicholson in The Shining. <laughs> so it was like him behind bars, supposed to be in the insane asylum, but it was him making the like shining, the like here's Johnny face. And oh then Shelley Duvall was screaming in the corner next to the <laughs> ne- ne- next to the like the cast of the loonies uh, from One Float of the Cuckoo's Nest. It was hysterical. There. New York's one of the... Uh few cities i i really really want to go to yeah it's oh it's so much fun and yeah and then they had a restaurant in there that had uh it's called the house of wax mm-hmm. um and it had all these like death masks and medical wax sculptures yeah um which were like yeah like there was one that was like the main one in the main room was this like full-size naked woman with her guts spilled out done on wax there was a wall of genitals okay. it was so bizarre um but great they had a like a photo op thing out front that was a giant black and white new york skyline and atop of the empire state building with planes hanging from it where you could stand on pretend you were king kong um <laughs> which was fantastic um i didn't get a picture of it i regret it and will till the day i die i was gonna say that's um <laughs> i know don't think don't think i'm not, not kicking myself about that every day <laughs> from now on um and uh so yeah, the, the experience was fun, and um, yeah, it was fun to see the two of them talk about it. They said some really interesting things I hadn't heard before that you can check out in the article we wrote. And uh, yeah, I think um, yeah, if you like Logan and you like black and white, um, and you don't want to turn the color off on your television yourself, yeah, uh, this is great. <laughs> so I got to ask you, yeah, um, you were in the like the the mecca of Marvel, like that's that's where almost every Marvel event character oh, everything takes place yeah. yeah yeah and you are there watching logan and then afterwards you had a QA op with yeah the man who like took one of the most famous marvel characters mm. and like made him even more popular somehow mm-hmm. um that'd be like a little surreal it was very surreal the whole experience was very surreal yeah um yeah uh 
I yeah, I I do I do love uh do love New York. It's cliche, <laughs> but this is true. Um and yeah. I, um yeah, it was weird. It, it was surreal. And you know, now that you say that, it's odd to me they didn't take advantage of the fact that we were in New York for that cuz the Marvel offices are there. Um Might I guess have something to do with the Disney thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was Fox, not Disney. <laughs> could very, it was probably a big thing. Um, and also, you know, be kind of like that episode of The Simpsons where Bart wants to go, goes to Mad Magazine and <laughs> it doesn't live up to his expectations. It is just an office building. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess I understand that why was, they did that. I, I've, I've watched a few documentaries on it and just like to find out that it's like, yeah, like we have our office here and it's just like kind of corporate stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Well, where are all the writers and stuff? They're, they're at home. They do stuff at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a different, yeah, different time. Uh, I think there, there was, I'm sure there was was an area when like Steve Dicko and everyone were roaming the halls, but yeah, I was well. There still called, is called the fifties and yeah. the sixties. <laughs> I think there still is like a bit of an art department and things like that. But totally, it's, it's yeah. But now, I mean, like what you can you know write it on a laptop in Japan, yeah. they send have it to them instantly, the right? Yeah, yeah. And artists around the world. They don't so. need to have everyone centralized anymore. Totally, totally. But yeah, it's funny. I wish I had, had thought of the significance of being <laughs> in the city where all Marvel stuff's based, seeing yeah. a Marvel movie. Uh, I didn't, but uh, <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, no that problem. That was special. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess we'll move into our game reviews. Yeah, did you do anything this week? Um, I have to talk to you about something. I so hear it. Here I am. Uh, you know, I have some time on the weekend mm-hmm. with my, my significant other. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Let's play some Mario Kart 8. Oh, Let's yeah. On Switch. And oh, my God, I have never been so frustrated with a game before oh, in really? my entire life. Okay. So I like Mario Kart 8. I can tell that it's still a really well-made game. It's yeah, probably yeah. one of the best well, like best-made Mario Kart games ever. Yeah, yeah. Her huge design problem with the races specifically, oh. where this is – it happened in the last game, and I thought they were going to address it in this yeah, one, yeah. where you just get, like – bombarded with attacks when yeah. you're in positions where it doesn't make any sense for the AI to go after you. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I was finishing races at, like, 7th, 8th, ninth yeah. because I was in first and then just spent, like, 10 minutes getting tumbled by everyone that goes past me. But that's, me. like, all Mario Kart ever, isn't uh, it? Not really. I've found that's, like, how it really? goes. Isn't there that famous gif of life's like Mario? What, li- <laughs> what life is like in Mario Kart, where a guy gets knocked from first to last place? Yeah, I could see yeah. that. No, but it was just, it was so, fr- it was, it's so much more apparent in that game. And I don't know why, but it was, hmm. it was really, really frustrating. That's interesting. Me. I never, I didn't, um, I didn't notice that. I actually like that element of yeah. Mario Kart. I like that you're never secure. Um, and uh, I guess, like, it's possible that you feel more items because you can hold two now. So yeah. they're probably like compensated for the AI, so it feels that way as well. But um, I don't know, were you going online? That, no, that's it was, it was just with the, the, the local. Um, I guess you just gotta pl- I just guess you just gotta play more, get yeah, better. I'm not gonna tell you. Get good. Did your significant other also struggle uh, in the same way? He won one game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like he actually came in first when I came in ninth. I'm like, this is stupid. I hate this. Um, were you doing it on two hundred CC? Uh we did one on one hundred fifty and one on two hundred. Okay. Yeah. Well there you go. <laughs> the two hundred's insane. Yeah, it was stupid. That's totally past. insane. And one fifty is pretty tough. Dude. I think that's, another that's, problem too okay, was that's part of it. You should have you should have dropped down and I, I and, and got your got your game though. back up. <laughs> um, I, I think part of the problem too was that uh, I brought the wrong uh, charge cable for my Switch. Oh, okay. So I couldn't actually play it on the big screen because uh, the, uh, the actual like docking station. Oh, so you're doing it on the little screens with yeah, the Joy-Cons. Yeah, so it was kind of frustrating. With the Joy-Cons yeah. as well? Okay, well then that's And the Joy-Con too, not... that was another thing, because because I was playing it on such a small screen, I, yeah. it took me a little while to realize how to turn the motion control off. Okay. Because holy crap, yeah. it sucks. I hate yeah. the I hate driving with the motion control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I turned that right off immediately. Okay, well this is making more sense. But I did fix that, and I still yeah. had a lot of those problems. Well, but... no, I just mean it's making more sense that if you're playing it exclusively on the Joy-Con on a small screen, yeah. like... I think that's really nice that you can do that and mm-hmm. make it portable, but that's not ideal, certainly. Yeah, I learned that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, everything's clearing up. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna give it another shot. Maybe I'll come back and talk to you about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a got a lengthy train ride this uh, this weekend. Okay, Montreal, fair enough. So. I think you'll do a lot better on yeah. single player in that way. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you got to you got to try out another I Switch did, game. I did. I did. I did Ultra Street Fighter Two: The Final Challengers, the okay. most ludicrously long titled long, long title for 
or a, a HD remaster of Street Fighter 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's Street Fighter 2, the end of the day. Um, they didn't fix what wasn't broken. Yeah. Um, it, um, I love Street Fighter 2. I have great nostalgia for it. I loved that um, you can switch between either A, the sort of, like, animation HD graphics that they, I think, I believe they... They they had had been done before for the Xbox 360 like or HD like sprites. Yeah, with the I HD think so. Sprites. Yeah. Um. So um. You could toggle between that and uh, the old blocky uh, 16-bit arcade style, mm-hmm. um, with no visible difference in gameplay, which I love. Um. And they added they technically added two characters and they they put evil versions of ryu and ken which hey of course, it's yeah. fun <laughs> but um you know it doesn't it's not a game burger but yeah no i just love street fighter 2 i do find it's interesting i do find um just from playing like more contemporary capcom fighting like marvel versus capcom sort of thing where mm-hmm. you still use ryu and chun li and how they have deliberately changed the control scheme to be more forgiving yeah i've forgotten how intense it was to be able to pull <laughs> off the old special moves um but um, I like the, the step with the purity. Um, and they also, it's incredibly customizable. So you can go through and put assigned special moves to any button you want yeah. if you want to. Um, so it's possible to, to it's possible to mess around with that. And I appreciated that. Um, it also, especially if you play it on the Switch portably, it does what they did with Street Fighter 4 for the 3DS, where you have one button special moves and super attacks, which okay. is a great way for, like, you know, the unfamiliar or the, like, people whose fingers hurt too much <laughs> um and um there were uh yeah there's the usual versus an arcade and they also added a fun a two-on-one match where you either with a computer or ideally in local multiplayer uh fight two-on-one matches against a single computer fighter um but the difference being that uh if you lose one time it's over versus oh, you got to okay. beat them all in two matches and do a series of them um i thought that was a really clever idea it worked really well um they also added this first-person motion control mode where you um, hold the Joy-Cons and do, like, Hadouken moves to do Hadouken. Oh, that's cool. Or the, like, uh, or the, the spin kick or the uppercut. Um, and it is it is cool as, like, a mini game. I did find that uh, the motion controls were a little Wii-ish. In the yeah, they weren't <laughs> completely one-to-one. They were not completely one-to-one. Okay. And it was particularly tough to distinguish between... Uh, doing the kick or doing the Hadouken. Um, and also, it's just like, it's only three levels. It's very much an add-on. Um, if it were its own isolated game, I'd be like, this is disappointing. As just like a, a toss-in, yeah. um, like as a party game, to get to do Hadoukens and watch it happen on the TV in first person, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, you can also like customize all the colors of the characters. And, uh, yeah. and then there's a lot of detail online functionality that was not available in time uh, for review, but just based on like what I could see you were allowed to lock up in terms of stats is pretty full. So um, like ultimately, if you don't like Street Fighter 2, you're not even going to be remotely interested in yeah. the fact that this thing exists. You know what? Um, I'm not a big Street Fighter player, but mm. there is something about a physical release of a game that looks like that that yeah, I really yeah, want to yeah. just try. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's yeah, it is it is super fun. I can't pretend it's not. Um, and uh, I yeah, I, um, I I loved it. I mean, it comes on the caveat that it's Street Fighter Two. Yeah, you, you have to like Street Fighter Two, obviously, just because of that saying. I mean, I meant to ask you. Um, mm. So, were you, I guess you were playing with the Joy Cons, right? Or did uh, you play with the controller? Oh no, I used the Pro controller. Oh, okay, because I was gonna say because um, the Joy Cons. I mean, there is the option if you're playing two-player that you can use the two Joy-Cons separately, but mm-hmm. I wanted to ask how um, how the uh, the buttons worked instead of a D-pad. I did I try it. Was oh, right. Um, well, I mostly use the joysticks, yeah. if I'm being honest. Um, I did find that, like, uh, the, pro, the D-pad on the Pro Controller was the, like, was my most successful option. Yeah. Um, the buttons, I thought, were fine. Um, it, uh, yeah, and, and the joystick was mild adjustments. I mean, like, I find that in general, like, the moves for Street Fighter were specifically designed for arcade joysticks, and everything else feels a little finger busty. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that worked really fine to me. I did find it a bit much just using the Joy-Con as its own controller, um, simply because, uh, yeah, like, it's just, yeah, yeah it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's cramped to yeah. be doing, like, those complicated Street Fighter moves. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, oh, yeah, overall, um, I thought 
it was as good as that could possibly be. Cool. Well, yeah. uh, look forward to your full review when that embargo lifts. Mm-hmm. It's a nice should little preview tease. Absolutely. should be either Monday or Tuesday. I forget which. Uh, I thought it was the 28th. I could be wrong. Yeah. I'll have to double check. But okay. I have a quick thing I need to um, say in regards to last week when I was talking about Sail Away. Mm-hmm. I was kind of harsh on Sail Away. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it was because the game is in early access, so it's not really finished. <laughs> so I would like to apologize to the developers mm-hmm. and to anyone who listened. Um, my bad. <laughs> Sometimes you don't realize when you, like, you play so many games, you just don't realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to say that as an early access, you know, playable development title, there's a lot going on with Sail Away that people mm-hmm. can like. With that being said, mm-hmm. it's still a sailing simulator, and if you don't know what you're doing, then it's not going to be a fun time. So. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah. Um, and with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Be a little bit of a shorter one, I guess. Well, it's an hour or so. And that's full length. <laughs> it's a full length <laughs> episode. Look at us. Um, so thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Leave a little, little review. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine. You can follow, like us on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment there. And you can follow us on Twitter at CG Magazine. And you can follow me at Twitter at Cody underscore Orm. And I'm at that Phil Brown. And before we go, I forgot one thing. You can create a character in the new Sonic game. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's a thing. That's so incredible. I will leave everyone with that great piece of information. Wow. Sonic Forces create a character. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening.